Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hey friends, welcome to an episode of At The Table. My name is Jackie King, and I love that you have chosen to take some time out of your day to join me in the conversation of women, leadership, and using our different gifts in the SPC, and ultimately for the kingdom of God. Today, I get to welcome to the table my beautiful friend, Casey Merrifield. Casey Merrifield is a senior consultant for Giant Worldwide, a global media company that specializes in leadership transformation. With a background in marriage and family counseling, Christian higher education, and student ministry, her passion is developing leaders to make a significant impact in their world by helping them to become leaders worth following. She currently serves on the Women's Ministry Leadership Team in her local church and for the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. On any given day, you might hear her cheer for the Texas Longhorns or Instagram pictures of Bodie the Pug. Her greatest love, however, is helping women know the great love of Jesus and the freedom a life in Him brings. Casey, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, Jackie, it is so fun to get to be with you over this podcast, so I'm glad to be here. I think our time goes way back. I was trying to think through like how long I've known you, um, and I think it's like, what, 13, 14 years? It was before getting married and and all the things. I know that I I just remember being at T Bar M camp and I I was there for um I don't even remember who I was there for. I think it was Southwestern. Wasn't okay. It? Yeah, I was like, was I there for Southwestern or Oklahoma Baptist <laughs> University? Either one. I have been in the admissions world. And so um yeah, that was a joy. I still can remember some great messages by Matt Chandler that weekend and yes. just getting to meet you and Josh and then knowing y'all were dating and now you're married and kids and adoption. And I love it. It's so crazy, but it has been so cool just to be able to follow you and see how the Lord has opened up uh, just different opportunities for you to be able to minister and lead. So why don't you give us just a little bit just about yourself? You know, the Lord has been so good to me. I uh, left Oklahoma Baptist University uh, back in the late 90s. I had worked there after I graduated and ended up in full-time ministry at a church in Houston, and I was doing girls ministry. And then um, the Lord would just see fit to take me on to seminary to get a counseling degree. And then after that, um, you know, I was still single. I was single for a long time. I didn't get married till I was 39. And in the meantime, I just kept going, okay, Lord, what's next? What's next? And so I ended up starting a PhD in leadership. And that was kind of right about the time um, everything tanked in the economy. So Hmm. I kind of just stayed planted where I was. I was living in Dallas at the time and started my Ph.D. in leadership with a concentration in ministry. And um, the Lord just continued to open up some some neat doors for me for both ministry opportunity. And then now what I'm doing with Giant Worldwide. And um, I am so very grateful for his story in my life. I often say Proverbs 19:21. it could have been my life first because it feels like everything I had planned out, God just took it and ran with it in a very different way. But it has been a joy to um, just to serve him in all the ways he's given me opportunity. 
You definitely have a story of just kind of following the next step that God has for you. So at Giant Worldwide, can you tell me a little bit, just what do you do? What does your week look like? Um, what are you kind of passionate about with working with different men and women? What does your job look like? So Giant Worldwide kind of stepped into my life um, towards the end of my PhD program. Now, I, I have yet to finish the dissertation. So for all of our listeners out there, there's no PhD <laughs> on the end of my name yet. But 2019 <laughs> is the year to finish that. Um, but, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, when Giant stepped in, it was one of those things that I had a friend who just said, you need to come be part of this. Every time I'm in my training, I just keep thinking Casey needs to be here. And so when I began to look at what they were doing, they were really taking all of the theory of leadership and putting it into very practical visual tools, uh, making it simple, scalable, and sustainable uh, for every everybody, not just the CEOs, not just the C-suite leaders of an organization, but down on the, the ground floor of people um, behind the scenes doing life and, and working like that. And so what I found was... I got to step in at a place, be trained in the content and that sort of thing. So I really work with individuals. I work with companies, uh, small or large. And what we really basically do is we go in and we say, okay, what is the culture like? And then if it's not a healthy culture, how can we help leaders become leaders worth following so that they build um, cultures of health and multiply leadership in the workplace? So I'm basically... The person that really just gets to come in and hold the mirror up and say, okay, do you have spinach in your teeth? <laughs> and if you do, it's keeping you from being, being effective. But what is it really like to be on the other side of you? And then how can we move from what you want to be, um, move to what you want to be from what you really are and maybe have no idea that what your influence is doing either way. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would assume that you get just a picture of just all different kinds of leadership with small businesses, big businesses. Um, and then even as you see that within your local church as you serve. And so kind of comparing and looking at all of the different places that you're getting to kind of step in and see what their mirrors are and what their issues are, specifically pertaining to women and leadership and women in the church and within our denomination, what have you seen as kind of being the most lacking that as you walk through these different processes with different companies, with different organizations, even organizations within communities, what are you seeing with women that just maybe isn't there? Gosh, that's a great question. I think what I'm finding is women actually have more opportunity to lead in the marketplace, mm. um, even though that's not as as much and they're even trying to change that a little bit but they actually have more opportunity sometimes to lead in the church than or, or in the marketplace than they do in the church and so what i'm seeing um let's just take that they're they're able to serve and deploy their gifts in the marketplace but i think they're just now sort of being given an opportunity to deploy their gifts in the church and that's that's one of those things that the whole conundrum of where do women fit in leadership in the church it, there is a lacking conversation that is really just now beginning 
um, where it's, I think Jen Wilkins said it this one time, why are we having the conversation about what are we allowing women to do in the church instead of saying, what are we equipping and empowering women to do? Right, right. And that's a big part of what the SBC Women's Leadership Network is about, is that we are trying to get practical tools to women um, all over the globe that know that they are gifted, know that they are called, but then are maybe kind of in this season of life. I know this is something that I really feel faced um, in the beginning of what do I do? So I think that even kind of brings us to the question of as you're developing leaders, what is kind of the first step that you would tell someone? So you've got a lady coming to you saying, Casey, you know, I, I feel like I'm supposed to lead. I feel like I've got um, these different giftings and stuff. What do I do? Where do I start? How would you coach her in that way? Well, first of all, I would just say, um, so there's two things like what are you doing to grow yourself and then what opportunities do you really want so when when you talk about how do we get to that place i think you always have to just go to your leadership in your church and say where can i serve um the whole point of where do they serve um, i think that's where the conversation needs to change a little bit because women in church leadership have often just been given like specific roles that have not necessarily been according to their gifts. And so mm. the whole idea of, of training women in their gifts, I think there's two things that go with that. One of them, what is their spiritual gift? Um, I always like to use the whole shape um, idea of someone's calling. And so what is their spiritual gift? What are their heart passions? What are their true abilities? What's their personality? And then what are their experiences? Because I feel like God has used every single one of those things in their life to bring them to a place of serving in the kingdom. So, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about serving in your gifts to edify the body of Christ. So so what are your giftings? Um, do you even know that? I have found that women have, many have been in church all of their life and they don't even know their spiritual gifts. Hmm. Now, it's really popular right now to kind of play with your personality. So you've got the Enneagram. Uh, we say it giant. It's so funny because people are like, are you a red, a yellow, an otter, a dog? <laughs> what, now what number are you? So are you a three, a seven? And so what, what we have found is if we can kind of get people out of this idea that they're, they're locked into a certain thing, but they do have a specific God-given wiring, we call it voices. So what's your leadership voice? And we've taken like the Myers-Briggs and the Union type um, typology, and we've boiled it down to five leadership languages. So out of that, what are what really is your leadership voice? Uh, what are the tendencies that come out of that? And then how do your gifts, your spiritual gifts inform how you use your leadership voice in the church? And so that's been really fun for me uh, since I've been connected to Giant because I can now take this leadership voice and help people understand their spiritual gifts in light of um, their God-given leadership voice. Yeah, and I think you're hitting on something that is so valuable. I know Kathy Litton, who is a fellow team member um, and just a mentor to me, one of the biggest things of advice that she gave just starting off as a young woman in leadership was know yourself. You've got to learn yourself in order for you to be able to lead others. And so these five voices, I actually ended up taking um, the test after chatting with you one day. And so after taking the test, it showed that I'm like 80% 
isn't a connector. So, and I think you said um, back whenever we talked before that most people are connectors. Is that right? Well, actually, the percentage of connectors is only about 11% of the oh, population. Okay. But, but what I have found when I work with women in ministry, they have had to play so many different roles that a lot of times when they take an assessment, their assessment is connected, whether that's their foundational leadership voice or not, because they have had to be big picture thinkers. They have had to um, always be around ideas that are uh, future oriented and that sort of thing. And so a lot of times in their world, they make they may actually assess as a connector, but finding out what their true foundational leadership voice is, is so much an important part of that whole, you said, you know, know yourself so you can lead others. We talk about know yourself to lead yourself first and then know yourself to lead others because your tendencies are going to be so different than the people that you work with. And so if you can know yourself and know your tendencies, then know yourself to know their tendencies. We, we really do have a better way of like moving towards the vision that God has given us um, if every voice around the table is valued. I agree. I know whenever I was reading through the write-up of the five voices and reading through the connector, um, I kind of giggled a little bit because it said you may struggle um, to stay consistent and disciplined after the excitement's off. And I'm like, oh, yes. yep, that's totally me. Um, and then even looking at my results and seeing that the lowest one that I scored was nurturer and kind of reading through some of those. So how about let's kind of talk about maybe even just some of the five voices and how do those connect? How does helping find our voice help us connect to others that we're leading? Wow, this is so good because I think what you'll find is really there are two voices that are very present-oriented voices. So you have nurturers and you have guardians, and I'll explain those. Nurturers are people who really care about relational harmony, so they make decisions based off how people are going to be affected in an organization. Um, they are also very much like the relational oil in an organization. So uh, these are the people that are always like, are you okay? That meeting didn't go so well. I, I just want to make sure you're all right. <laughs> now, if you really think about this, 43% of the population is the nurturer voice. So these are the people around the table that are often just kind of managing the people in the room, um, but they're also very often resistant to change. So they are more concerned about, can we keep things going as they are? And let's do well with it, but why do we have to change things up? Mm -hmm. Guardians are similar in that, um, in that they are very much the type of people that are due diligence. Um, they are thinking about systems and processes these people are very much resistant to change too. They kind of always want to know, is there a pilot project that has been done to make sure that whatever this decision we're going to do is actually going to be successful? Mm -hmm. uh, so 43% of the population is nurture, 30% of the population is guardian. So 73% of most art organizations are very resistant to change. So when you start looking at the landscape of how do you do change in ministry, how do you do change in the workplace, roughly 73% of the people are going to be opposed to it. So um, along with both of those, the, the, the guardians tend to have the more, um, this whole due diligence kind of perspective where they're very much like the question askers. How much is it mm -hmm. going to cost? When does it have to be done? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for future oriented voices, 
this can rub against them wrong because they're very excited about all of these ideas they have. So the other three that are more future oriented is the pioneer. So the pioneer is the one that's um, the military strategist. They, they see strategy in a big way and they're always trying to move people towards the vision. They can give a compelling argument for the vision and they're ready to take people with them. Now, the problem with that sometimes in an immature pioneer, they can kind of have this mentality of back me or fight me, Hmm. but they're always big picture thinkers. There's only 7% of the population that is pioneers, but they're overrepresented in leadership. So roughly 63% of senior leaders are pioneers. Then you have the connector And the connector, uh, which is about 11% of the people, these people are all, they have like 1,400 ideas constantly going on in their head, and they're very excited about them. But like you mentioned earlier, sometimes they can't close the deal because once the (laughs) idea has worn off, they've kind of gotten everybody on board. They don't do the details. And so unless somebody else is working on the details, the idea is probably not going to come to fruition. Hmm. Um, and so that's 11% of the population. Then the other 9% is um, the creative. Now, be careful because you always think like, are they artsy? This has nothing to do with being artsy. These are just more of the outside of the box thinkers. Um, they are very much um, trying to make sure that what we say is an organization, our values and, and our actions are going to meet up with that. And so these are the kind of people that are always trying to communicate what should be happening down the road because they they kind of have this whole whole mindset of we, we need to be careful about what's happening and we need to be um, moving in a direction or, or we're going to fail. So the, the problem with um, the creative oftentimes is they talk, but a lot of people don't understand them. So not only is your voice not heard because they're not understood, they are trying to talk, but it just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. So those three voices that I mentioned at the last are the more future-oriented voices. So the difference when you're looking at a team is, is everybody thinking more in the sensory, like practicalities, or in the ideas, the future and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's really fascinating when you get down deep in these. Um, so what questions do you have about that? And how would you like to talk more about the voices? I think it's so interesting. And like you said, you could definitely go very deep. And I think after taking the assessment, it almost as a leader had me thinking, okay, who on my team are these different voices? And, um, and even how some of these voices tend to conflict or like as a connector and somebody asking a ton of questions, I think initially I would think, why are they not on board with my idea when that's just their voice and how they're trying to sift through the system? And in all actuality, they're actually actually strengthening the process so that it actually gets done because they are more detail oriented. So how would you kind of coach a woman, especially after finding out her voice to use kind of this information in order to lead her team, in order to lead those that she gets to influence? Where do you go from the voices? Well, I think you go with who who really is represented the team. And you said this um, just in what you were talking about, but Who on your team is helping you um, think through things that you don't think through? So as a connector with all of your ideas going on, who are the people who are really grounding you and helping you get projects completed? Or let's say um, 
you're a more present oriented leader, but everything just kind of always stays the same. Who on your team is really moving forward? So I think I help uh, leaders particularly go, what is your wiring? What is your natural response to what the organizational clarity of your mission or ministry so thinking through who on your team um, is going to help you move towards the vision. So, so it goes, it really goes back to know yourself, to lead yourself. But um, I, I was thinking about a women's ministry team I helped in this last year. Uh, the leader is a connector. Um, there were three connectors on this team. There were two guardians and there, there were three nurturers. And so uh, there was actually a, a, a creative on that team too. And so what I found around the table is that the connector talked a lot. We didn't have any pioneers. The connector talked a lot. And one of the nurturers who actually has a very high connector voice, those two dominated the conversation. And so what I realized in that is we were not doing well about the art of collaboration. So Mm -hmm. Um, with our voices, we talk to teams about how do you collaborate well so every voice is heard. So I, I talk through that with women is like, what is your natural tendency? Um, and then how can you use that to engage every voice around the table? And then what are going to be your pitfalls for allowing that engagement to happen? I love that. I love that. So those that are listening, if they want to start and they want to find out their voice, where would they go? So five voices, five is just the number five voices.com is a free assessment. And so you just complete that and um, it will pull up your results. I would also say this though, just based on the conversation you and I've had, um, sometimes it's important to even visit with someone. And I would say, if you know a giant or call me or, you know, reach out to me, I can even help you walk through that and go, now, what is your true foundational voice? Um, Because our assessment often is based off of our leadership behaviors in that moment. So what is our nurture? What is our nature? And what is our choice? And so finding out your true foundational voice will help you know um, how to lead yourself and how to lead others. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. And um, because you are almost kind of a leader of leaders, you have been on the ground, you're working with other people, other men and women to be able to identify their gifts and even their, maybe their potholes, their things that they're not seeing, the spinach in the teeth, as you've said. So I'm kind of curious, who has been one of the most influential leaders in your own life? And what is probably, I guess, like the biggest takeaway that you've gotten from them? Okay, well, I might mention two. First of all, my parents have have um, been the, probably the biggest influence in my life. I've watched them serve the Lord faithfully for over 30 years in ministry. And so I have watched them um, just be faithful to the Lord. Uh, my dad used to always say, "Be clean, stay clean and stay close. And so I think there was just that whole idea of a pursuit of holiness, and that only happens by abiding in Christ. So I will say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one leader that particularly has influenced me in the last probably 10 or 12 years is a former pastor, um, my former pastor in Dallas. His name is Todd Wagner at Watermark Community Church. But what I learned from him and just an interview, but then watching him model this in a very healthy way um, to the staff and to the whole church was just this whole idea of what it means to yield to the spirit over the flesh. 
um, I am reminded in, in just a time that I had with him, I said, who, what, what is the biggest challenge for you in ministry? And he said, Casey, there is this one guy that I cannot get away from. And he irritates me every day. And that person is me. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I don't, um, he said, I love me. I love pleasure. I love comfort. I love praise. I love ease. I love me. And if every day I don't surrender and die to self, I will live unto myself rather than unto Christ, who actually is the one worthy of the glory, not me. And so I I remember taking that away and realizing that we're all going to struggle with self. And at the heart of any kind of leadership is, do you know yourself to lead yourself? So what are the areas that are tripping you up? And, And I began to pray this before Giant entered my world. And I was just praying David's prayer. God, search me and know me. Search my heart. See if there's any way that is grievous to you and lead me in a way everlasting. Then when Giant entered my world, I felt like I had language around that. I had practical tendencies that are God-given tendencies. But if I yield to the flesh in those tendencies, I will serve myself. Mm-hmm. But if I yield to the Spirit of God, that I will, I can mature those tendencies, not because I'm a great behavioralist in, in doing well, but because if I yield to the Spirit in those, God is honored and God is glorified. And so that whole know yourself to lead yourself took a different turn. As one other thing I'll mention is just the whole idea of trust. And Todd made this comment. He said, I think people think Trust is giving someone a long leash and letting them do whatever they want. But the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked and utterly deceitful and that left to ourselves, we will choose a selfish path that doesn't always honor the Lord. That's why we need other people in our life. Um, So you need close friends that are going to really know the sin struggles and the weaknesses of your life so that they can help you, help spur you on towards love and good deeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just have to be vulnerable and, and expose those things where we're weak. But in leadership, that whole concept of self-preservation and be a responsive leader versus a resistant leader gives you an opportunity to say, I'm not perfect. My people don't need to see that I'm perfect. Um, but what discretion and discernment do I need to let that wall of self-preservation down so that I'm actually making an impact relationally that is going to thrive. So that's a lot, but those are probably two of the biggest things I learned. That is a lot. And I think it's such a great reminder for all of us, um, even after talking about trying to find our voices and who we are and our strengths and weaknesses, um, that so often in the leadership conversation, we can be so focused on trying to be better, trying to do better, trying to lead better. And I think Todd's example there and his wisdom that he passed on to you was, First and foremost, you've got to be somebody that is leaning and abiding and repenting and yeah. um, just seeking purpose and life from from Jesus and even his example that he came to serve and that he's not trying to push some agenda, but that he is lovingly and sacrificially coming to the least of these. And I think that's such a big difference in um, what we may see corporately or kind of being pushed in other realms that as we take on the name of Jesus into our different scopes and spheres on the planet that we would do it humbly and ultimately through the life of Christ. So I think that's such a huge challenge to to all of us that just as much as we seek leadership development and becoming these great leaders that we would first and always start with 
just a humble heart and, and pressing into the Lord and where we need to find life and breath in Him. So that is so good because I think the reality of that is in our weakness, He is strong. Absolutely. And, and we are not yet fully glorified. And so we just because we've been saved doesn't mean we're fully sanctified. So we have to walk into all of our leadership going, where is the enemy going to take me out today? Mm-hmm. And what is the area that he most wants to go after me? And then be diligent to to pursue a, a life of faithfulness in those areas. I think sometimes what has happened, at least in what I would say American evangelical life, is we we might remember when we were saved, but we've forgotten that we still struggle every day. And so we don't always walk in a spirit of humility to say, gosh, God, I, I want to honor you today. And this is going to be where the enemy takes me out. So let's be diligent to pursue faithfulness there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So final question I've got for you. Um, so you have been in the SBC life for a while now. Um, and so I'm just curious, how are you seeing the conversation change, um, even specifically with women in leadership? And what are your hopes for women in leadership in the SBC? Well, first of all, and of course, I love the name of this podcast at the table, because I finally feel like women are getting a seat at the table. And by that, I mean, I think we've swung the pendulum so much in Southern Baptist life where we're like, we're afraid to do this. And so we swing this far left. And I feel like we're, we're looking for that God honoring balance with roles because God has clearly marked out roles in scripture. But where are we taking that overboard and, and it's dishonoring the Lord? And how can we get back to this middle ground that says, let's be true to what God's word says our role is as women, but even a place at the table um, I feel like there's a renewal to honor women in their role. And I, I heard a podcast on Annie F. Downs yesterday, and she basically made the comment, her pastor did. He said, at some point in my marriage, I learned to dignify my wife's voice. And I thought, wow, I think that's the conversation we're having right now. Mm-hmm. How can we dignify a woman's voice rather than be afraid of those who want to misrepresent it? Yes. So I'm grateful for that. I am too. Um, Well, Casey, I am so thankful for just your time and just all of the wisdom that is oozing out of you. If our listeners want to connect with you, what is the easiest way for them to find you? Well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, My name is the same on both. So Casey May 249. And you can find me there mostly. Um, And then, yeah, I'd love to connect with anyone. Well, thank you again for your time. And I want to give a quick shout out to CSB, the new translation out of Lifeway. It is one of my favorite things to teach from. I've had it for about two years now. And so make sure that you go check out the CSB. And Casey, again, thank you so much for today. And I hope you can be with us again soon. Thank you, Jackie. You have been listening to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.